Open your Bibles to John chapter 4. I love that so much. If you're joining us on audio or video podcast, Facebook, YouTube, we don't have permission. We just watched a clip from The Chosen. It's an internet series that I hope you're all watching. If you're not watching that, you're really missing something extraordinary, and that's just a clip. If you're watching later, you can follow the link and, uh, and see it on YouTube, but we don't have permission to stream it. Uh, after the service is live. John chapter 4. I'm starting a new sermon series today entitled Relationship Rehab. I want us to talk about relationships. You're thinking, Pastor Tim, won't you just stick to the gospel? Oh, I am sticking to the gospel. This is what the gospel's all about. Now, uh, if I've been your pastor for long, you've heard me say that relationship problems are spiritual problems. And they are. They always are. All of them are. Relationship problems are spiritual problems. No matter what kind of relationship you've been in, no matter what kind of trouble you're having in your dating relationships or your marriage or with your kids, I promise you, the problems always come back to spiritual problems. Relationship problems are spiritual problems. Our issue is that as believers, we often sort of compartmentalize our faith. You know what I mean by that? We, we have our church life and then our life life, and we have a pretty firm boundary between the two, and we don't really often mix issues across back and forth between our life, our everyday life life, and, and, and our church life. And as a result, our relationships, that's where you live, right? The way you interact with your spouse at home or the way you are on dates or the way you act at school or at work or with your neighbors, you know, that's everyday life. And you don't often consider that as any sort of reflection on the person you are when you're at church, when you turn on your faith. And and we often just turn it on. We come to church on Sunday. We attend church, we read our Bibles perhaps, we pray, and, and that's our church life, and, and that's where our faith lives. We don't often consider how our faith should be impacting the rest of our lives, especially our relational life. So l- let me say it this way. Uh, you call yourself a Christian. Christian is not just one part of what you are, it's everything you are. It can be just a part. You can't think of yourself as like a Christian, you know, a Christian maybe on Sunday or, or when you're at home praying or whatever, and then you're also a husband, also an employee. No, 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 no. A Christian isn't just part of what you are. It is everything you are. It's either everything or nothing. Do you understand that? So I would go so far as to say this. You can't be a good Christian. You can call yourself a Christian, you can tell yourself you're a good Christian, but you cannot be a good Christian while being an unfaithful spouse, a selfish neighbor, or a bad friend, and the list could go on and on and on. Relationship problems are spiritual problems, and if there is something wrong in the way that you relate to people, then there's something wrong in your relationship with Jesus. You cannot be a good Christian while being an unfaithful spouse, a selfish neighbor, or a bad friend. Now, I bring this up because I am a a believer. I'm a church person. I've spent my entire life literally in in, in church, and and I've seen how we are. And the world has seen how we are, and I think we all know how we are. Church people are not necessarily more loving. We're not necessarily more kind. You get us outside of this building, and often we are in, in most ways indistinguishable from the world. It is still some somehow a puzzle. 
that Christian couples divorce at a similar rate as non-Christian couples, which means for most Christian couples, your faith has nothing to do with the way you even relate to your wife, to your husband. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with the way that you can call yourself a Christian and be a really, really horrible father or, as I say, a really, really bad boss or employee. You just can't be a good Christian and at the same time uh, continue to live in in broken and wounded and dysfunctional relationships. You, you, You just can't. As church people, we know by now that in church you can meet some, you know, some real humdingers. I mean, uh, in church I have seen pastors who are dictators, you know, pastors who would take a suggestion as some sort of personal attack. You've been there. You've seen it. You've seen church people who just hop from church to church to church because, as it turns out, it's easier to change churches than to forgive or get along. At Woodburn, what you can do, is, as you've learned, is you just go to another service. Somebody you don't like at 8 o'clock, you just go at 9.30, and then you never have to see that person. And I'm telling you, there's something wrong with that. We tell ourselves that it's normal. You tell yourself, well, you know, Pastor Tim, I, I'm just stubborn like that. No. No. You can call it stubbornness if you like, but the rest of us recognize that it's pride and selfishness. There's something wrong. And again, we call ourselves Christians. In church, you meet all kinds of people, saints in the church who gossip and find fault with everybody, small group leaders addicted to pornography. You have church people who volunteer and spend all their time at church and never consider their spouse who's lonely at home. You with me? So many ways in which we have wounded one another and we continue to wound one another in the church with the people who are supposed to be the people of God. People are supposed to have the love of Jesus in them flowing through them. There's something profoundly wrong and broken with the way we disciple people into the ways of Christ because we never seem to manage to get people into loving relationally the way Christ loves. So I want us to take several weeks and just really look hard and long at our own hearts and at our own relationships and measure those by what we've learned from Christ, okay? So start with me in John chapter four. Honestly, I feel like the video does such a good job of telling the story straight through the Bible that I don't, um, I'm not gonna read the whole chapter. John chapter four is the story of the woman at the well. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but start with me in verse nine. Let's just dig in right there. John chapter four, verse nine. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. All right, right there. Start right there. What's her response? The first thing she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. That's her way of saying, you know, I I know who I am and I know who you are. And so we got nothing to talk about, right? She just assumes two things. She assumes that she knows everything about herself. And she assumes she knows enough about Jesus to know that they don't have anything on, on which to base a conversation, Understand, in Jesus' day in the ancient world, men didn't talk to women in public. If it's not your wife, if it's not your mother, if it's not your daughter, you do not speak to a woman in public first. Second, 
Jews and Samaritans, they don't have anything to do with each other. It's a racial thing. Jews and Samaritans in the day, they hated one another. And so the woman is standing here thinking, you know, there, there is every reason in the world why we shouldn't be talking at all. Not to mention the fact it's not just that she's a woman and that she's a Samaritan woman. She is a particular kind of Samaritan woman. You with me? Which kind of makes me wonder, why is Jesus talking to her in the first place? Why does Jesus risk his reputation? I mean, Jesus of all people, he doesn't need to be seen in public talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman, talking to this Samaritan. I mean, everybody knows who she is. Everybody knows the I mean, nobody else wants to be caught dead at the well in public with this woman. But by all Everything you read in the scripture, it sounds like Jesus has gone out of his way, out of his way to be in Samaria, out of his way to be at this well in the middle of the day, out of his way to have this conversation with this Samaritan woman. He knows all about her. You think, Pastor Tim, does he not know? Oh, he knows. He knows everything about her. He knows everything she has done. He knows who she is. And he knows what she's worth. So this really isn't a story that turns upon what Jesus knows and doesn't know. He knows everything. It's the woman who thinks she knows but doesn't really know even what she thinks she knows, right? I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jewish man. We got nothing to talk about. Why are you asking me for a dream? See, see, here's the thing. You really can't even know all there is to know about your own self until you know Jesus. See, the woman thinks, I, I know who I am. I don't know much about you, but I know enough about you. And the point is, she doesn't know anything about Jesus, but she also doesn't know a whole lot about herself. You don't either. You're thinking, Pastor Tim, you're crazy. I know me. I, I know myself. I know the person in the mirror. I've had myself for breakfast, lunch, and supper every day of all my life. I think I know me. I'm telling you, no, you don't. No, you don't. You think you do, but, but I promise you, you don't. And I promise you, you will never really know yourself. You'll never really know the depths of your own heart until you know Jesus. You get to know Jesus, and Jesus will begin to reveal himself to you. And the more you learn about Jesus, the deeper you go into Christ, the deeper he will take you into your own heart, the more you'll know about your own self. Understand that? So this woman's about to know Jesus, and in knowing Jesus, she's about to find out some things about her own self. This is how salvation works, you all. This isn't like Pastor Tim telling you something you know, weird that he just thought of. This is the basic Christian life. This is how it works. You begin to grow deeper into Christ, and the Holy Spirit will reveal things about your own life, things about yourself. And in every one of those instances, it's something about you that he intends to change, to redeem, to transform. The scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything becomes new. So Christ intends to make you a new person. That means change, and that means Jesus is going to make you face the person you are, the person you've been, all the things you've done, all the ways that you think. I'm telling you, this is what Jesus does, and it's what he does best. But you're going to have to surrender to it, and I'm telling you, for most of us, this is hard. 
I mentioned the way that church people are often just as messed up as everybody else. The only thing different about us is that we say we know Jesus and we go to church. But I'm telling you, I feel like a lot of us, we go to church to hide but not to heal. You understand? Church can be a marvelous place to feel better about yourself without ever having to deal with yourself. I mean, you can read your Bible, you can pray, you can come to church, and you can actually convince yourself that you're actually some kind of good Christian. But I'm telling you, none of that, none of that amounts to anything until you begin to surrender your heart to Jesus. And when you do that, he's going to force you to take a long, hard look at yourself at the sin in you, at the old things in you that he's longing to make new, but you've got to recognize them, name them, and give them over to him. It's not easy. So Jesus is here talking to the woman, and out of the blue, verse 16, he says it. Go get your husband. Honestly, when I read that, I think that, that sounds cruel because Jesus does know. He knows. He knows. She is shacked up with some dude that she saw at the rodeo, and that he ain't going to stay. She doesn't even know his last name. You know, she's just shacked up with somebody right now. He is not her husband. He's probably not even her boyfriend. We don't even know if he's still there when she gets home. You know, I mean, this is how she lives her life. She's shocked up with a guy that is not her husband. She's had a bunch of husbands in there, but then lots of men in between. I mean, this woman just goes from man to man to man to man. This is how she's lived her life. This is the very point of her shame. This is what's given her her reputation. This is why nobody wants to be seen with her. I mean, this is that place in her heart that is so wounded and that is so raw. And Jesus puts his finger right there. Why does he do that? I mean, does he want to be cruel? Does he want to just embarrass her, you know, uh, shame her, show her all the things that are wrong with her? Does he just want to rub her face in the darkness and, 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 and stupidity of her own life? I mean, is this his aim? No. No. The husbands aren't the point. If you notice in the rest of this beautiful conversation, Jesus never brings them up again. The issue is not her sexual life per se. The issue is not how many husbands that she's had. The issue is not the cowboy at her house right now. None of that is the issue. But Jesus knows, you know, when he puts his finger here at this point of her pain, at the place of her shame, that's the place where her deepest desires become a little more obvious. I don't know what she knows. I don't know if she really understands her own heart. I don't know if she's intentionally gone to the well to avoid other people or if that's just the way she's learned to behave. I don't understand. I can't possibly know inside of her heart. But I'm telling you, it's not guaranteed that even she understands her own heart. So Jesus is beginning to reveal to her her own heart. And he takes her there to that part of her life, her past, that she's never wanted to face, and she sure didn't plan on having a conversation about it with this strange man at the well in the middle of the day. That's what Jesus does. Jesus is going to, in the process of making you new and taking you into a brand new life, a brand new future, you're going to have to deal with your past. Because honestly, the past can keep you trapped at a level of living that keeps you from the very things you most desire. See, that's the thing. This is why Jesus brings up her past, 
Because then we can talk about her desire. What is the deeper thirst in her heart? That is so much deeper than any water that could come out of Jacob's well. What is the real desire? What is it that she's longing for? What is it that she's looking for that she's never going to find in the arms of another man? What are the deepest desires of her heart? You understand, she's never going to get there. She's never going to reach the point of satisfaction and fulfillment in her life because it's her past. It's the way that she continues to live in the same patterns with the same assumptions and never even stop to imagine if change is possible. The past can keep you, not just her, you. Your past right now is likely keeping you at a level of living that prevents you from really experiencing everything Christ has for you. You're gonna have to find a way through Jesus to be released from your past. A little further, your past can negatively affect your ability to love Christ and other people. So I'm talking about relationships here, right? Your spiritual life is lived out in relationship with Jesus first, but then there's no way to separate your relationship with Jesus and your relationship with everybody else. If Jesus puts his love in your heart, you're gonna know that Jesus loves you, but then you're gonna go out and you're gonna love other people with, with that love that comes from Jesus. And if that love that comes from Jesus isn't flowing through you, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. That's not normal. You can't really say that you're on the path of following Jesus, a path of faithful discipleship, if you continue to be a really terrible husband, an unfaithful wife. You just can't. Your past can negatively affect your ability to love Christ. And other people. You're saying, but Pastor Tim, I don't, know, I don't know who you think you're talking to, but my past is normal. That's what some of you are thinking right now, right? I'm normal. We're normal. My family was just a regular family. I went to school. I grew up. I got a job. I'm normal. I got no past messing me up. I'm normal. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to deal with you gently here. Uh, can we just define normal? Together, could we just define normal? Because ain't nothing normal about you. I'm looking at all of you. None of you are normal. I'm not either. Now, the thing is, I think I'm normal. I think I'm normal because, you know, the family I grew up in is the only family I grew up in. Like, it's the only family I know. I have two parents. They're sitting right there, the only parents I've ever had. Till I got out into the world, I thought they were normal. I mean, you know, you just think that your parents are normal and you have no idea because you just don't. It's all you've known. It's familiar. And understand, familiar doesn't necessarily equal normal. Just because it's all you've known, your past can negatively affect your ability to love Christ and other people because of the way your past has shaped you. The family you grew up in, they, they, they began shaping you before you could even remember, before you even knew what was happening. I mean, some of you in this room, some of you in the sound of my voice, um, you know, perhaps you grew up with a family that loved you, parents who loved you, but not everybody did. Some of you were abandoned by your father before you were even old enough to know his name. 
So from the earliest age, you had to know that, 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 that that's how the world can operate, that people can just abandon you. So you, you can't really go into life not pretending that you don't know that people can just walk away. That, that, that shapes a person. You know what I mean? The, the family that you grew up in, your family had rules. I and mean, whether they're stated or unstated, you learn the rules pretty quickly. The, the way that family members interact with each other, the, the way that your father and mother interacted with each other, the way men talk to women, the way people handle money and talk about money, that's typically learned very, very early in your family. Your mom and dad, did they fight about finances? Did they argue about finances? Or did they spend money like poop through a goose? I mean, you know, they just like spending and, and arguing, were there secrets around money? Because secrets will always make you sick. And if you grow up in a family with a lot of secrets, man, those secrets will destroy you. How do, how do people manage anger? Because you learn that from your family. You, know? you, you find out that if daddy gets mad and puts his fist through the wall, that what you do when you get mad is you put your fist through something, even if it happens to be somebody else's face. I mean, you just learn that that's how you express. I mean, you, you learn it early. And that's the thing about it. It just seems normal. It seems absolutely normal. And because it seems normal, then you don't necessarily ever think to change it. You never even question it. You never even stop to, to consider, you know, what is going on in me that perhaps Christ wants to change. But that's the question I want to put in front of you today. I want you to ask it with all kinds of seriousness. What is going on inside your heart that Jesus is trying to change? Pastor Tim, I'm just like my daddy. I'm, just, it's just, I'm, I'm like my grandma. I got my grandma's personality. This is just my personality. I'm telling you, your personality is part of what Jesus died to change. Stop telling yourself that you can't be any different, that this is just how you are. You must change. The scripture says if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. All things are passed away. That includes your old stubborn personality. You change because Christ changes us. That's what he does best. So what is going on inside your heart right now that Jesus is trying to change? It's actually the beauty of this story in John chapter 4. Because the woman for the first time sort of begins to confront herself. And and the questions about her life and, and why she is the way she is. It's those why questions that are really, really important, and most of us never really ask. Why am I the way I am? Why are you the way you are? Why is it that you just can't get along with very many people? Why don't you really have any friends? Or let me ask it this way. Why do you never keep friends in your life? Why do people tend to scatter once they get to know you? Well, why is it that, that you are so capable of just cutting people out of your life? Like you have this long trail of people behind you, and I'm telling you, if they cross you, if they, man, if, if they in any way disappoint you, they are dead to you. I mean, why are you so good at that? You know what I'm saying? What is going on inside of you with it? Jesus is trying to change. It's, it comes from our past, you know? I was probably, I, I don't know, I just don't know, six or seven or eight in that, in that age range. Uh, I grew up in church, had a drug problem. My, my parents drug me to church. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, um, always at church. And church was a home. 
to me, still is. I, I, I love that. It's just part of the way we lived our lives. Um, in my church, the church I grew up in, uh, I was kind of in the middle, which means there were, there, were, there were kids older than me and lots of kids younger than me, but there weren't really kids my age. So I was kind of in that middle weird uh, phase with you know, nobody really to hang out with. Uh, but, of course, as, as a kid, I just wanted to be with the older kids, right, the older boys. I always wanted to be with them because they were cool. Uh, and so I'd do everything I could just to hang out with them. You know, I was the punk you know, kid, but I wanted to be with the older guys. Um, it was a night service. I don't know if it's Sunday or Wednesday, but um, church was over, and all the kids were running like crazy outside the church. And I was trying to hang out with the older guys, and, and they ran off. So uh, I went back in the church. In a minute, one of the guys came back in. He said, hey, Tim. He stood at the back door and said, Tim, come here. He called me out. And I'm thinking, you know, finally they have discovered I'm fun to play with. You know, finally they understand. Uh, <laughs> finally they get it. So I remember walking out the door, walked out the front doors of the church. As I stepped out, um, they pushed, one of them pushed me to the ground. And then the, the, the biggest guy... He jerked me up by the ankles. He, he picked me up by the ankles and carried me upside down. And they took me out behind the church. It was dark. They took me in, in the darkness behind the church and uh, stuffed me in a trash can. There's a big barrel that they burned trash, and they just stuck me in the trash can. I just remember being really scared. Like Maybe for the, I don't know, I've never been scared like that because I never really thought anybody was going to hurt me, but I didn't know what they were going to do next, you know, so I felt scared. Um, I felt shame. For the first time in my life, just shame. And by shame, I don't know if you understand what I mean. It's not like being embarrassed for something I've, that I may have done. It's, shame is embarrassment for something that you are. And for the first time in my life, I just felt ashamed, you know. Of me. I could hear guys laughing at me. And some of those guys, like I'd, I'd spent the night at their house. And so I, I thought of them as my friends, and, and they were laughing. I just remember crawling as fast as I could out of that barrel, just trying to come out of the barrel. And I turned it over in, in you know, a lame you know, display of whatever. And I went in the church and stood beside my mother just to be safe. I went and stood beside my mother. My heart was beating, but I was determined to act like nothing happened. I remember that. Just to stand there like nothing has happened. I wasn't going to give anybody any pleasure in, in thinking that it got to me or that it hurt me. You know? So I was just going to stand like nothing happened. But my mom said, um, what's in your hair? What's that in your hair? And in my hair were, were ashes you know, from where they burned the trash, and food scraps, because it was garbage, you know. Um, I know a lot of you have suffered much, much worse in your life, and, and it's not about who can tell the saddest story, but that's part of my story. And even though it's way in the past, and, and that's not the only thing, or I'm not saying that's the turning point of my life, I'm just saying that story kind of sums up a lot of what I've carried into adulthood. You know what I mean? And so, coming into my life and into adulthood, I've, I've always just um, not always felt like I measured up with other men. Just always afraid that other men would not accept me or that I, I would just you know, somehow be ridiculous to them. 
Um, and so I determined that, that, that I would never, ever be weak uh, with, with other guys. I, I would find a way. And, and so there's always just been this, this strange kind of inferiority, but, you know, competition with men. And I've always felt really safe with women. Like I ran in and stood by my mom. Um, it explains why in my life I always had to have a girlfriend. Like, I was that guy that if one girl broke up with me, like, I got to replace her in the next five minutes. I just got to have another girl. I wanted a girl. I just always needed a girl with me. I needed a girl, you know. And, and I wasn't really ever very picky either. Like, any girl with a pulse. <laughs> and we could negotiate on the pulse. I mean, you know, I mean, I just need a girl, because I guess somehow it was easier to prove myself a man among women. You, you know, it's just so many complicated things. Is it any surprise that, you know, church becomes my arena? You know, church becomes the place where I try to prove myself? And, and for me, I probably could have gone any number of ways. But, but for me, uh, coming out of that, you know, it's kind of spending my life trying to crawl out of that trash can, you know. My strategy has just been... Uh, to charm everybody, you know, to, to win everybody over. I guess I could have gone another way, and some of you have chosen other paths with your pain, but, but that was my approach. I'm just going to be the guy that's really, really fun to play with, you know. I, I'm going to be the guy that people like, and, and I'm going to win people over. I'm going to get them to accept me and, and, and approve of me and, and, and love me, and, and, and I've spent a lot of my life really, really addicted to, to that, uh, trying to earn people's acceptance and respect, you know? Now, all of these things are, are sort of a terrible trap. You, you see that, right? Because what I really, really want is, is some kind of acceptance, but, and it may come out of some woundedness from the past, but the fact of the matter is that there are no people on earth who can satisfy the need for acceptance in me. It, it's not found in people. You understand? It's found in Christ. This is why I say this is the gospel. This is the gospel for you. That, that Jesus saves you. That he gives you a, a new heart. And when that happens, it changes not just you, but the way you relate to everybody else. So when Jesus meets the woman at the well, of course they've got to talk about her relationships. Jesus goes straight there. Straight there. And you need to be willing to let Jesus take you straight there into your relational life, the way you are with other people. You've got to get serious about letting Jesus remake you, transform you from the inside out. It's going to start in you, but I'm telling you, what's in you always comes out. So what is going on inside your heart that Jesus is trying to change? Well, what wounds is he trying to heal? What, what bad habits that, that you learned in the past, you learned from parents, you learned from partners, you learned from people who loved you poorly, you've hurt people, you've been hurt by people. I, I'm telling you, what's going on inside you that Jesus is trying once and for all to set you free from? Because he will set you free. So why are you the way you are? Why do you feel like everything's got to be perfect for you? Why can't you trust people? Why is it that you can't keep people in your life? Or 
Why is it that you're only comfortable when you're controlling everybody else? Why do you feel like everybody has to like you? Why is it that the one voice that you can't stand is that voice in your own head when you lay down to sleep at night? Why is it that it's just so hard to be alone with yourself? Why are you the way you are? So at the end of the story, it's just so amazing. Verse 20, verse 29, the woman goes tearing back into town, right? And what does she say? Come see a man. <laughs> I just think it's funny. Because you know what people are thinking? When this woman, I mean, it's this woman. It's not like your, your sweet grandma. It's, it's this woman screaming through town, come see a man. They're thinking, Lord, she got her another man. Like she needed another man, like a hole in the head. Like why in the world, you know, it's October. I guess she got her a new man. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And they're thinking, well, good Lord, who doesn't know everything she's ever? We all know what she's done. We know all about her. And they do. Everybody knows what she's done. Everybody knows how she is. And Lord knows she don't need another man. I mean, why in the world is this the way she goes out spreading the gospel? Come see a man that told me everything I've ever done. Why does that excite her so much? Understand? It's someone who knows who she is and knows what she's done and knows what she's worth. And loves her. Loves her. And that love, that mercy, that grace, that acceptance, that is salvation. So here's the gospel, y'all. The gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. And you're thinking, well, Pastor Tim, is that where this was all going? You didn't think I was going to go there. You are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. I, I know, I know. Gospel means good news. And you're thinking, I don't sound like good news. You, you are worse off than you imagine. And you are. You are. So before the gospel is good news, you got to sort of get serious about the bad news. And the bad news is you are in desperate need of change. You are in desperate need of salvation. You're in desperate need of rescue. There is a darkness in you that only the light of Christ can penetrate. You are in desperate need of that light. You are more sinful. I mean, I know, I know, some of you feel guilty for things you never even did. I mean, you just feel guilty. But I'm telling you, the sinfulness goes deeper than that, deeper than you know. And when you come to Jesus, you're going to have to be honest about that. Stop looking at how everybody else is messed up. Stop thinking about how everybody wounded you and start being honest about how you have wounded others. How you yourself are a sinner and you are flawed more deeply and more tragically than you've ever dared believe. The gospel starts there. You are more sinful and flawed than you have ever dared believe. And yet, you are more accepted and more loved than you ever dared hope because Jesus lived and died in your place. That's the gospel. You understand? So what this means to me right here, that the fact that that acceptance that I've always wanted to find in other guys and men and women and all of you. The gospel for me reminds me that the acceptance that my heart craves doesn't come from people. People will always let you down. They'll always, always disappoint you. They're never going to be able to fill you up if you're empty. Do you understand? Only Jesus can do that. But the acceptance, the love, the forgiveness, the mercy, the brand new start that your heart craves, that deep, deep, dry thirst from the bottom of your heart, only Jesus can quench that. 
the gospel. You are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, and yet you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared, dared hope because Jesus lived and died in your place. That's why the scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. You are a new creature. Everything old passed away. All things become new. Understand? That important step in the middle where you get released from your past. It's part of what Jesus does best. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are most of us church people in church. So we're comfortable here. We know the routine. We're about to sing another song. It's going to last a while, but then we're done. We're out this door. We sing. We pray. Um, in a lot of ways, this is the safest place in the world for us, Lord. It's a good place to come hide because in this room, Lord, we really don't think much about the person that we are at school, the person we are with our friends, the person we are at a party. Well, think so much about what it would be like to be married to us. We, we, we've not even thought much about the argument we had in the car on the way to church this morning, Lord. In this place, we can just sort of hide from all of that and tell ourselves that somehow we're better people than we are. But Lord Jesus, I, I pray that you would not allow us to come into this place and hide in such a way where we never find out the grace that comes with being healed, being forgiven, being honest about our own sins and, and then uh, grateful for the grace that comes to forgive us and make us new. Lord Jesus, only your love and grace makes it possible. But when we experience your love and your grace, you put it in our hearts so that we can live a life of love and grace in relation to everybody else. Lord, we've always thought everybody else was the problem. But we recognize, oh Lord, the problem is in us. So Lord Jesus, as hard as it is for us to go there, will you lead us there into the dark, dark memories of the past, the dark places in our heart? Can we go there with you and have you shine your light there? Lord, the change that we need, the change that we desire, the thirst in our hearts, only you can satisfy. So Jesus, we come to you today and every day that we might know the fullness of our salvation, the totality of transformation that comes when the past is taken away and you call us into a brand new future. Call us forward, Lord, and release us from the past. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.